All right, here we go. Nope, week two, and we are in a series on the Ten Commandments, and we are looking at the Ten Commandments and trying to figure them out, and really, hopefully, we're going to turn them on their head on how you've perceived them or may have perceived them to be, and hopefully allow them to be uh, making a great impact on your life. And so the Ten Commandments, wow, so we, you've heard about them, we see them in culture. Last week, we watched a crazy video from an old movie. That was really interesting, that I think kind of impacts our perception. So we have all these questions. Today, I just have one from someone saying, yeah, do we need to follow them anymore? And like, that's a question that we have. Or we say, you know, are they really from God or does some religious person make them up? Uh, are they relevant anymore? Like, are they really that important? Why is it such a big deal? And, you know, all those different things. What happens if we don't keep them? We'll get into that a little bit today. Um, did I get struck by lightning? Do I go to hell? Like, what, what happens? Or, you know, and they're always shown on soap tablets. You know, what's the deal with that? And, and all these different things. And eventually we're just like, God just seems to only be about the rules. And so however we view the Ten Commandments usually ends up being how we view God. It's interesting. And rightly so. So we hear about them, we see references, you could probably name a couple of them, or be like really close in guessing. And if you were to guess, and if you were to name one of them, there's a good chance you would start with the three words, thou shalt not. And in the English interpretation, that seriously from 1611 is where that phrase came from. And we'll say, thou shalt not, and then fill in the blank, is, is it Murder. Lie, is that one of them? And eat donuts? Thou shalt not vote for, I'm not going to say anybody's name. <laughs> but, you know, you would love to fill in a word there, right? Uh, or vote anyway. So, and so th- but I think it's those three words that really stick in our mind. Thou shalt not. You can't do whatever. And so, you know, that is a big part of that. And so over, the, over five weeks, and this is week two, um, we're just going to talk about this. And I'm going to take our typical understanding, or not even knowing whatever it is about the Ten Commandments, and turn them on their head. And so I want to encourage you to try to forget any preconceived notions or ideas that you may have coming into this to allow us to engage this in a fresh way. Because surprise, they are still relevant. And they can actually bring great meaning to our lives if we allow them to do that. And what we're really focusing on, more than just kind of walking through each commandment one by one by one, that's really not my purpose. Some of you probably want me to do that, and we'll get into them. But really, I want us to see the story of God. We are looking at God's story with us, and they are part of his engagement with us. They are part of his story And the more that we view it in that way, the more we begin to understand what God is doing and why they came about and all those different things. And so that's what we started with last week. Last week we talked about how the Ten Commandments came about and and God's story. And what we found out was we had a people, a nation of people of Israel who God was beginning his story with us. We had fallen, we had broken lives, and we had turned our backs on God and into sin. And it led to all this destruction, eventually slavery. And God, God answered, eventually answered their prayers in a very visible way, and they were able to walk away from slavery. And as they were following God, they finally got away from Pharaoh and Egypt, and that's a whole story. Maybe you've heard that before, and you can go back and listen to our podcast last week. But they were finally free. 
After hundreds of years being enslaved, like generationally being enslaved, that's all they knew. They were really finally free. And it was in that moment that the Ten Commandments came. And so they were not given to a people that had just been free just to unfree them again. Oh man, we got to do all this now. Though they were rules for a free people to stay free. They didn't even know what being free meant. And so God gave them instructions for a free people to stay free. And so that's one of the big things we saw last week. Okay, so we're going to follow his Ten Commandments. They're for us to be free. We're going to go about, about them. So let's recap what are the Ten Commandments. Let's read through this. I've numbered them for you just so you can see. This is found in Exodus 20, and God was giving this to Moses and the people of God. They heard him saying these commandments out loud. So here it is. It says, And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. So an idol. Don't make an, an image an idol. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. You've probably heard that. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord God is giving you, the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not covet. And then he gives specific examples. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, or his male or female service, or his onk, or, oh, excuse me, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So there you go. There are all ten. Just a little bit of a review. There's the Ten Commandments. Okay. Um, what's interesting is that there are many other laws that were given after this. This was the beginning, kind of like the big ten to start. And we last week we talked about how the, the word commandments was actually never spoken by Moses or God. They really re referred to as the ten words, but then there were a lot of other laws. In fact, 613. That's a lot. This was brought up in my dinner group this last week, actually. And so some of us have asked, you know, do we have to follow the Ten Commandments? Is that still a requirement for us? And now you're like, well, if that's true, then there's 613 total. Like they, they kept, God kept going. He gave them really specific instructions on how to live their life. And some of them are amazing. If you think about how what we know now through technological and scientific advancements, all these different things, like, it's amazing what God gave them. Had to do with every aspect of life in any kind of way. Very specific. So it's like, well, if we have to follow the 10, does that mean we do all 600? 
Some of you are like, man, I wasn't sure about 10, but man, 600. And so if there's 600, then why the 10? Why did they stand out? And do they stand out, if that's so? Like, why is that? Some of you are like, I didn't know this was a question I needed to ask. <laughs> so, you know, it makes sense. So why are the 10... So why did they, why did they survive more than the others? Okay, well, a couple of things, three things, really. One is they do stand out. They do. They were distinct. They were, God said them out loud to everyone. They saw it. It, it was a big event. It got, it was on, Moses was on a mountain, and the mountain was surrounded by smoke. God was visibly engaging them in this moment. Some people call it the high point of Israel's life because of that. The ten words were inscribed on the tablets, the stone tablets by God. And so they, they, he brought them out in a specific way to them. And it was so important that they had that, that when Moses broke the tablets, oops, you know, like, wow, that's a big, that's, you know, didn't mean to do that, God, I'm sorry. God wrote them again on tablets. Like, so that's how important it was and how much they stood out. So Israel had what was called the Ark of the Covenant that God had given them, and they you know, stored the important things, and the Ten Commandments were in there. So it was very important. The tablets were in that. And really, all the other laws come out of the first ten. It's almost like a constitution or so you know, that they had, and everything else kind of flows out of that. So, yeah, they do stand out. They are different in that way. And then they were the foundation. The second thing here to understand is they were the foundation. It established an incredible moral ethic. This was, you know, tw- you know, a long time ago. And, and, and this was helping people understand that God had a moral ethic. And so, that, and, you know, it still applies well today if you look at all, all of them. And it also reveals the character of God. It helps us get to know him and see him. So it shows us his character. And you can do so many different things where you study each one just on understanding who God is. It shows us more about him. And so they were, they stand out. They were a foundation. However, what we know now is because of Jesus, they now take on an entirely new meaning how they impact us. And when you think about all the other laws, most, if not all, those other laws were now fulfilled in Christ. And this is kind of looking ahead a little bit, but because of Jesus came, his death, and his resurrection, he began to be the ultimate fulfillment of all of these laws. And that was a big change, something that God was leading towards in his story of us. And that's really important to know. And so that's saying like like 600-something laws don't really engage us today because Jesus began to fulfill those in himself by what he did. And so this this was a specific covenant that God made with Israel at that point in time, absolutely, for them in that moment. And on this side of Jesus' resurrection, then we are not bound to the old way of keeping the law, specifically all 613 because of how Jesus has now fulfilled that in himself. And so going back then to the Ten Commandments, they do still have an abiding relevance to our lives. And so this is why we still see them referenced, especially by Jesus and others, 
it informed the ethics and the character of the New Testament. You see that in the thread of the teaching that came out of Jesus' lives. And they still show us God's character. They also show us God's story. And we're going to continue that today. So, for instance, when we you know, see these references, we have the teachings from Jesus. That's very impactful for us still as a church. We love this. And so he, when Jesus was teaching, there were people who were the religious leaders. And so their whole existence was around the laws that God had given. In fact, they loved them so much, they started adding to that and all these specific things. Like they created thousands of iterations that God had never given them to really make it harder on people. And then they had a whole unwritten code that they just liked to flip out. Only they knew. And so it, was, it got crazy that they would try to do it. And so they were constantly trying to, to trap Jesus with these questions and these laws because they didn't really like Jesus too much. It was interesting. And so they came to him one day saying that. It says, teacher, which, of the, which of, is the greatest commandment in the law? So this is found in Matthew 22. And they thought, they're like, okay, we're going to get him because there's a lot. Which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus had an, an immediate answer. He replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. You can find that in Deuteronomy for those who are interested. <laughs> it says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Some of the translations out of, the, out of this in the Greek here say the second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It's fascinating. That's found in Leviticus. That's, uh, anyway, out of all the 600, there we go. There's the two. And so this, you, you see this teaching coming out, and we, you know, that's something that impacts us today. We love God and we love others. And so the Ten Commandments, this was a covenant between God and his people and it was really the beginning of this story. It was just the, the first part of how he was engaging their lives. He led them out of slavery. He wanted to keep them free. And it was the beginning of this journey that would ultimately lead us to Jesus. And this is key. All this is pointing to him. And so part of that story then is the law and it being given. And so they got the Ten Commandments and then everything else. And so last week we saw that story begin. I've referenced that already, that they were in slavery. They were enslaved a long time, generationally. They were freed. God called Moses to lead them out, and they did. That was an incredible story, and then they were free. They were seeing God at work after hundreds of years. And it was at that moment that they received the Ten Commandments. And again, they were instructions for a free people to stay free. Okay, so that means then the law is good. It's, it's, it's something that we have that leads us to life. He was trying to keep them from walking back to slavery, which is what they tended to do of their own hearts with each other. And we do the same in our lives today. And so God is leading us towards life. And so I talked about that and read Psalms last week, like this one, Psalm 1, 1 through 3. It says, oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. And it has an effect. It says they will be like the trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither. They prosper in all they do. 
So there's this place where when we really understand that it's leading us towards life and freedom, when we engage God and his instructions for us, it leads us to joy and delight. This is very different than our typical interaction with rules or laws or how we maybe even view them with God. Because rules really do two main things. One, it gives you an action to do. So there's something to do. So it's more of like a positive thing, right? So you worship God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So there's a positive action that you do, but it also keeps you from doing something else. So it's more of like a negative type of action. Don't murder. Don't covet your neighbor's apartment or house or car or phone or job or status or clothes. There's a lot for us to look at our neighbor and see. It happens every day. So it keeps you from doing it. And we struggle with the latter part because we want to do those things. <laughs> and, you know, we want to do the things that the rules keep us from doing. And we want to do them even to our detriment. We'll absolutely destroy a relationship that we're in. If somebody we love deeply, our parents or significant other or someone we want to date or our spouse, like we will do things that destroy a relationship because of these desires. We'll go into bad debt. We'll jeopardize our jobs for these desires. God's saying will lead to our destruction. And so that's why we struggle with the rules. Okay, so... When it comes to the Ten Commandments, what do the Ten Commandments do? What are they telling us, instructing us? So for today, I'm not going to go deep into each one. The last couple of weeks of the series, I am going to begin to engage us in the way we look at them and what they do and how that impacts us. But today, today it's important that we keep focused on the story, and so I'm just going to do it in a simple way. Let's keep it simple to start. So I'm going to go back to Jesus' words in Matthew 22. Because they show us so much, all right? So Matthew 22, he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the commandments depend upon this. So if you look back at the, what we call the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures leading up to Jesus' life, you have love God and love others. Two sections. One is vertical. It has to do with your relationship with God. And if you look at the Ten Commandments, there's that vertical relationship and talking about God. And then the second half of the Ten Commandments is about how we love others, the horizontal relationships in our lives. There's a vertical and horizontal. And everything, if you can learn to just do that, even today, if we make that the purpose of our life, you will experience great purpose. And you'll, and you'll have, you know, there, there, there's fruit that comes from that, those principles. So love God and love others. So the first four commandments are about how we love God. And then the, the next six are about how we love our neighbor, how we love others. Honor your father and mother. You, sh- you shouldn't murder. We all got that one. We understand that. And so on and so forth. All right, so this is what the Ten Commandments do. That's it. We can go home. <laughs> no, wait, hold on. Stay there. Okay, so if the commandments were given, 
to us. We got that. What happens then if we don't follow them? Like, God is purposeful. He loves us, okay? But if that's true, then there's a reason that he's giving these commandments, right? So we talk about how, well, it's for a free people to stay free. So what happens if we don't do them? Well, there's, there's two things that happen. There's consequences to not doing it. I think we all can understand that. And I would say there's two consequences that God is keeping us from. One is there's a natural consequence of sin. Like when we, you know, when we don't obey the rules, it's what the Bible refers to as sin. There's a break in relationship. And sin is relational, by the way. And Jesus has helped us understand this. It's a break. We, we think about it as the rules. But God was inviting them into relationship. It was a relationship first. And the rules come out of the relationship. I don't have children just so I can tell them, that, you know, keep the house clean. No, I have a rule to keep the house clean because I love them. There's a relationship that exists. And so the relationship was there. And so it's, it's sin is when we break a relationship with God or with others, and you feel that break whenever something goes wrong with you and someone else. Like you feel it. You feel like I can't, can't do anything until we resolve this. And so there's a natural, the first thing is this, there's a natural consequence to sin. There are things that are going to happen if we don't live this way. God is helping us see truths. And so it's a free people to stay free. So his instructions are leading them towards life. And so to disobey is to bring destruction on yourself. And so you and I will experience that every week of our lives. You know, coveting your neighbor just kind of wrecks your heart. When you compare, that's what coveting is. You're comparing yourself. You feel inadequate. And your day can be going great, and you'll see somebody's post, and you're like, hmm. Or you'll see how much people are liking someone's post. Or a coworker gets a promotion that you should have had or you deserved, absolutely. And like it goes so on and so forth. We create Frankenstein people that you take parts of everyone that you see and you think that everybody is like this perfect person and we're trying to achieve to this impossible standard and it wrecks us. You say angry things to people you love the most. There is a natural consequence. And eventually the bill comes due. And so there's a natural thing. And then, but you know, they were in a relationship with God. That's also part of it. So there's also God-given consequences to sin. God gave them consequences. So disobey God was a break in the relationship. So he also gave punishment. As any good parent would do. And this is a part of God that we struggle with. A real loving God cares deeply about justice. You want this. We get this in our own world. Someone does something atrocious to someone. We, we, we cry out for justice. We do that in our society even now. It's, it's been very important to us. If someone were to hurt one of my children deeply, I would be angry. I wouldn't be like, yeah, don't worry about it. Just don't do it again. No, we'd be like, we cry out for justice, and, we would, and when finally that happened, we would be glad. We understand it's important. A loving God wouldn't just ignore. And so we, we want a God who cares about justice because it means that people who harm us can't just get away with it. 
And so God gave punishment. So there's a God-given consequence to sin. It's out of purpose and of love. And so he also then created, he didn't just leave us there, he created a mechanism for forgiveness. He created a path for forgiveness and a path for restoration. He, he promises that to them from the beginning. But here's the deal. The punishment almost always involves death. Or at least a picture of it, but almost always involves death. And if it wasn't them, it would have been an animal, something to represent death that had to happen almost every time. Why was that consequence given by God? He was helping us see in his story with us that, that sin, this break in these relationships, the wrongdoing, always leads to death. Now that might seem frivolous to you and I, but it's true. To walk away from God is to walk away from love because he is love. Any evidence of love that we have in the world, the love that we fight for constantly that we want to see, that comes strictly from our Judeo-Christian ethic. That's where it began. If you trace that back and go through history, that's where it comes from. It's because that God gave that to us. He, it's who his personality is. He is love. And so to walk away from him is to walk away from love. And if you're someone who's pursuing God or not sure, sure about that, that's something that you need to consider and look into. But he's also life. Life comes from him. And to walk away from God is to walk towards death. And he gives us the freedom to choose that. He doesn't force us to. And so all sin eventually leads to death. And he, he was, he's like, you need to see this. It's important. It's walking away from life. And so you would see punishments like this. This is Leviticus 20. Verse 10, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. That was the command, the punishment that they were given. Wow. They also had to bring sacrifices. Not everything was that result, but they would have to bring a sacrifice to represent the sins that they had committed. So they would bring an, an animal. It had to be a perfect animal. And yearly, the high priest had to go into the temple after sacrificing these animals and present them to God. It represented a, an atonement that had to be made. So Leviticus 16, 34, it says this. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. This is God giving them these, these things. He says, atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. So this is the mechanism of forgiveness and restoration. And so no matter how many times they experience forgiveness or experience the, 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 the punishment and the consequences or experience the joy of following God's commands and the beauty and the life, like they would do that. They would experience a land that would flourish, relationships that would flourish. All these, they would experience the joy in the, in the relationship with God. No matter how much they, they experience all those things, they still would go back. They still sin. Like they couldn't keep themselves from doing it. It was impossible. And every year they had to keep coming back. And they still disobeyed. They had to keep coming back and offering these sacrifices to God. They had to constantly offer and bring sacrifices. And that meant they were reminded of death. Like they would see an animal be killed. 
and it, it was hard. I, I, I grew up in, in church and going, and I would hear about these things, but it didn't really make, you know. And I, I eventually took a seminary class talking through the Old Testament scriptures, and the professor I had, they still do this sacrificial system in Israel, and he went there to see this and experience it. And he talked about how incredibly hard it was to see a life taken in front of him from this animal. And it, it was something that was incredibly hard and very real for them. From children, they would see it, and it was showing, God was saying, there is real consequences. It brings death. Wow. And so it's, we, we should know this. So what motivated them not to sin? Okay, so this is really a question of motivation. And this is really the point for us today. What motivated them not to do this? And this is key. So there's positive motivation to love God, but there's a negative to avoid punishment. So was it punishment? Like they were punished, but they always came back to it many times. You know, punishment's interesting. The thing about punishment is, like, as soon as it's gone, we forget. Have you ever, like, gone, have you ever been in a bad situation, and that's when you pray? Usually that's when we pray. We're stuck, and suddenly, like, I hope God exists, because God, you know, right now, if you exist, you know, if, if you just help me not be, to be sick, not to be sick after drinking so much tonight, I promise I'll go to church on Sunday. If you can just keep me from this, I'll, I'll go to, you know, I'll never get drunk again. I'll go, and, you know, then... And you, you make it through the night, and then you forget. And the next thing you know, there's another Friday, Saturday, whatever, and you're like, how am I drunk? Like, here I go again. Or, you know, like, if my wife just doesn't see this whole thing, I promise God I'll give to the poor. I'll do something for you. If my husband doesn't see, like, our bank account and all these different things, I'll just, you know, if we can. And we just begin to bargain with God. And you know, if my, maybe you remember being like, if my parents, God, just let my parents fall asleep. Let them not wake up when I get home. Like, I, I'll stop doing this. I'll go to church. You know, we make promises to God. I don't know why it's always like go to church. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here today because you made that promise, okay? And so I get that, and we'll take it. It's great. Um, but then we forget. We don't really honor those prayers. Because as soon as that pressure of punishment is gone, we forget. We move on. We move on. So, yeah, punishment can keep you it can keep you from sin. But it's not really taking away the motivation to do it. You still want that, whatever it is. You desire it. And it, it could be harmless to you, you think it's harmless, or it could be something that really can destroy you, and you want to do it. Why is, why, how can we take that away? What is it that leads us to experience what we read in the Psalms of delight and joy to be free from the chains of our appetites and our idols? The things that really bring us back to slavery. And so this was God's story. He was helping him see this. They're in a relationship, they're on a journey, and they're learning to trust him. They're also learning to see his goodness and his beauty. So they blew it a lot. They would do horrible things, and God would justly punish them. But he always 
brought them back. He always would restore them back to this beauty that he made us for and to experience. We need that, by the way, in our culture today. We've, we've lost the vocabulary. Like, we understand justice and we're demanding this. But we, we, we don't know how to deal with it. And so we just leave ourselves in punishment. We need a mechanism for restoration and forgiveness. And really, only God can do that. They didn't deserve to be restored, but they did. So what is this story showing us? This is so key for us to understand. Three things. One is that sin always leads to death. We've just talked about that. If we feel this in our relationships, sin is always leading to death. And we need to understand, like, it's, it's going to pull you down. But then there was a mechanism, a reminder of this, right? So an atonement had to be made. So what's, what's atonement mean? So an atonement for sin had to be made. That means that something had to die in your place. If you don't die, if it doesn't lead to your death, something else has to. Someone has to pay for this. Somebody has to be put in jail. Somebody has to go to court. A, a justice has to be satisfied. When we see like national court cases where we, we long for justice to happen, there is rejoicing when it happens. An atonement, so to speak, has been made. Something has to die in her place. But the third thing that we see here is that they can never stop. They still, despite all that, they would come back to it and do it again. And you feel this in your own life, too. Those same principles still play into this. So if we can't stop, is there any kind of hope that we have? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. And from the beginning, God had planted seeds and was saying to them that there is a final, fully restorative hope coming. And that's all leading to Christ. Starting even in Genesis, read Jesus, Genesis 3.15, there was, when, we, when, when sin first entered the world, God made this promise that he would crush, fully, finally crush sin. And then God get, began to get, give prophecies to his people about a future hope that was to come. So things like in Isaiah, and it's sprinkled all throughout the, the scriptures that, that God gave them. In Isaiah 9, 2, there's a prophecy that he gave. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. We read these scriptures many times at Christmas, thinking about the Messiah who was to come. There was a promised Messiah. And then in Isaiah 53 begins to specifically talk about this coming hope. Just a couple of verses. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. These are words of atonement. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have, we have turned, every one of us, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53 is so specific in describing Jesus and his life and what he did. Those, you know, those who are of Jewish faith many times have to skip reading this, this chapter I'm, I'm in, in their synagogue because... It points to Jesus. In fact, many have come to faith in Christ because of this. It's fascinating. 
and how specific this hope and this prophecy was. The law in itself is debilitating because it really just, just shows us our sin. In Romans 3, it eventually says, there, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law because you can't keep it. You can keep going to the next two slides. We can't keep it. No one will be declared righteous because of it because none of us have done it. It says, it says rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. It shows us who we are. So week one, last week we talked about in the story of God, the Ten Commandments lead us to freedom. It's bringing us to life, all right? Great. Week two, we're going to say, they, they just make us aware of our sin. And it, and it really, it ultimately can be condemning because we can't get out of that cycle. And so the question is really about what motivates us to love God. Is it fear of punishment? Did that work then? Like, yeah, punishment is an effective tool, but it can't be the ultimate tool. Is that working now? That fear of punishment is there. Somewhere in you is that fear of death. And you may hate God for this. You might blame him. Or you may fear him and live in guilt and shame because of what you've done and what you do because you can't live up to it. Someone has to take the punishment away. And that's why it brings us back to that promise and that hope. In the thread of that story, God has given the promise and the hope. I want to end with this scripture. This is found in 1 John 4. 16 through 19. John was someone who walked with Jesus, saw his life. He was, a, he was a Jewish person that walked through that whole system and everything, and he saw Jesus' teachings and eventually said, Jesus is the Son of God. And his writings, so beautiful, in 1 John 4, it says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. When God holds us accountable, we can be confident. Because this is how it's made. He says, in this world, we are like Jesus. He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Why is that? You see those words? Because fear has to do with punishment. Because the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Perfect love drives out fear. The punishment has to be taken away. And that's what the hope of Jesus is. And that is what we're going to get into next week. You don't want to miss that. The law is condemning. That's why Jesus came. To be that atonement for us because we can't. And we want to learn to walk out of fear and towards perfect love. And 
really experience the joy and delight that we long for in our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your hope in our lives. We thank you for your story and your pursuit of us. I pray that we would not be afraid to lean in to the things that we're learning because ultimately it's something that leads us to what we desire, which is peace, joy, delight, restoration. The things that we are searching for in our appetites of our lives. None of that really satisfies. I pray that we find that in you. We thank you and ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.